Well, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good. Good to see you. Welcome to Life Community. We are really glad that you are here. And I think it's really cool that um, you guys are growing our kids' ministry. You keep having babies. Um, that's good. Keep doing that. That's like biblical, you know, be fruitful. Some of you are really obeying that command, and I think it's awesome raising a, a whole bigger generation that's going to love Jesus. But we love kids around here, and uh, we had to reprint all of our kids' signs so that we could continue to grow the kids' ministry and uh, make room for all your kids, all your fruitfulness. So that's a good thing. All right. Hey, grab your Bibles. We are going to dive right on in today, and we are heading towards the end of, a, of the book of Ephesians. I want to read the whole passage just to set up what we're talking about, and then we're going to come back, and we're really going to sort of dive into the first couple verses of this and really explore the unseen realm. So here we go. Paul, at the conclusion of this book, says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with your belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Let's pray. Father, we just want to say thank you that you brought us here together. Thank you for, for preserving this amazing letter part of the scripture now for 2,000 years. Would you just open our eyes as we dive into this topic here? And Holy Spirit, would you be moving on our hearts? Would you convict? Would you encourage? Would you strengthen, we pray in Jesus' name. So when it comes to this world, when you look around this world, um, is there more than meets the eye? I, I think so. I remember uh, my, my parents telling this story um, before they got married, um, years before I was born. Uh, they had got, my parents got engaged, and it was summertime, and they were trying to figure out when they're going to do their wedding, and they're, you know, talking about it with the family members, thinking maybe a year out the following summer. And my mom's sisters and her mom, uh, my grandparents, were hanging out, and my parents were out of town, and they were, they were hanging out together, and they had this little bo game, board game, that they thought was just fun, just fun, and it was called a Ouija board. Some of you have heard of it. Maybe some of you have one. Um, so actually, I looked it up on Amazon. Hasbro sells them still and bills them as eight plus. It's a fun game in the spiritual realm, they call it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so Here's what happened. They're, they're like, 
my, my grandma and, and aunts are, are standing around, and they just, for kicks and grins, because my parents hadn't decided a, a wedding date yet, they uh, asked it, um, they said, well, when, if you don't know how this works, like people in a group get around, they put their hands on, and then it spells out things. And uh, so they asked it, well, when are Dave and Mary Jo going to get married? What's the wedding date? And it spells out a date in December. An hour later, the phone rings, and it's my parents. And they had just laughed it off. They're like, no, nah, they're thinking a year off. Hour later, the phone rings, and my parents get on the phone and say, hey, we picked a date. It's going to be this date in December. And they freaked out and threw the thing away, got rid of it immediately, because they realized, wait a minute. This isn't just fun and games. There's something going on here. That's a little bit deeper. There's something, this isn't just coincidence. How did this happen, right? I uh, watched an interview, or listened to an interview with a psychic. It was, uh, I, I think it was on Daily Wire or something, and, uh, and a friend sent it to me. It was really interesting. This, this lady was a born-again believer who years past had been a psychic medium. She would do like tarot card readings and all this stuff. And she really thought she was helping people. She thought she had a gift and she was helping people until she started encountering dark spiritual beings that started really messing with her, sometimes like physically shaking the bed and, and all sorts of weird stuff appearing. And this is her testimony. She ended up like... Walking, finding Jesus and walking away from that whole thing. And her conclusion was, hey, um, actually, I, this didn't really help anyone. It was deception. It was a reality. Yes, there was a reality here, but it was a reality not to be messed with. You know, I think there's a couple of different attitudes on the supernatural in America. The first one, which is really common, perhaps this is where some of you guys are out here. Maybe you're just here checking out God, church, and the Bible, and you have more of a naturalistic worldview that just sort of really goes, eh, kind of scoffs at all this like spiritual talk, right? Because for a large part of our culture, Everything has a natural or scientific explanation. And so the explanation is, if I don't know the scientific explanation, it's just because we haven't discovered it yet. There's a, there's a natural, you know, tangible scientific explanation for this. Everything is natural purposes. Even some Christians seem to operate in this, I call it functional deism, which essentially operate from this place where they would say, yeah, I believe there's a God and he operates sometimes, you know, shows up and does things outside the natural realm. But functionally, I live like a deist, which is like someone that God just wound it all up at the beginning and set it off and he doesn't really have much um, interaction with his creation today. So people tend to either write off the spiritual realm or have an unhealthy fascination with spiritual things. Tend to be too extremes. In fact, lots of people, it's really this interesting thing. This uh, psychic medium was talking about this. It's interesting. There's a whole group of people that say, you know, I'm spiritual, but I'm just not really into religion. Maybe some of you know, know people like this, and you work with them, or they're your friends, or, and they're like, yeah, I'm really spiritual. I just don't like religion, organized religion. And essentially, at the bottom of it, it's like there's an openness to all this sort of wishy-washy, like different 
things and practices and all this different stuff. I just don't want a God of the Bible telling me what to do. At, really, at the heart of it, right? Or I don't. Or you look at, and this a lot of times it's a reaction against um, some of the abuses of the church over history, and they've been turned off by that. Now it's interesting when it comes to the supernatural realm. There's fascination with it in our country. Actually, we're actually a very spiritual nation. It's just so many are beginning to to see that whole paradigm as completely separate from the from the the Most High God, the God of the Bible. In fact, uh, there was a USA Today headline in 2021 that says, we're in the middle of a witch movement. Hitch, hip witchcraft is on the rise in the U.S. See, and this interesting thing happened, I think, then in the 60s, our nation began to kick God out of the public square, right? No prayer in schools. Uh, we began to kick God out of the public square. Well, Solomon in Ecclesiastes tells us that there's eternity in the heart of humankind. And what, the, what I believe that means is there's this, a space within our souls. There's a, you recognize, like, modern science can't even really explain consciousness. I listened to this fascinating interview with uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson where he was talking about how science, we, we don't understand consciousness, Right? We don't understand what really makes us us from a scientific standpoint. And the Bible would come and say that's because there's a spirit and a soul. We're not just physical. It's not just synapses firing in brain and chemicals. There's a reality. There's a deeper reality going on here. And Solomon say, would say there's eternity in the heart of humankind. There's a space that only God can fill. And when that space isn't filled by the one true God, by the Spirit of God, that space will reach out for all sorts of other things. And it's interesting because in, in 1990, there was a survey, and they f- figured there were about 8,000 adherents of Wicca in the nation. Well, last year, there was a uh, NBC article that says this. It was titled, Why Paganism and Witchcraft Are Making a Comeback. They said, now there's a million plus that practice some form of witchcraft, which includes Wicca, paganism, folk magic, and other New Age traditions. It says it's one of the fastest growing spiritual paths in America. And so for some, they write it off. But for others, man, they're all about this. They seek it. And so what does the Bible say? about the unseen realm? How do we, as followers of Jesus, live in light of the unseen realm? Well, we're going to dive into the first few verses of this passage in Ephesus and, or Ephesians in just a minute. But I wanted to remind you, we haven't really pulled up the map in a while. Uh, we talked about some of this stuff when we first started the series. But I want to remind you of the spiritual climate in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus We have a map here. Ephesus is a city in Asia Minor, which was a province, a large country, a province, modern-day Turkey. It was, and Ephesus is the capital of the Roman province in Asia. This is a very wealthy, prominent area of the Roman Empire in the first century. And there was a, a culture, there was a spiritual climate in Ephesus that was very accustomed to the supernatural realm. They, they believed in it. They believed there were gods and goddesses that um, controlled the forces of nature. They sacrificed to them. There was a lot of superstition. 
In fact, um, in Ephesus, you had multiple temples, and one of the most famous was this one, the Temple of Diana or Artemis. This is, you can still go and visit this with the, um, there's some ruins left, and this is a, a rendering of what this probably looked like back in the first century. It was, people would travel all over to see this. It was spectacular. And there, was all, there were all sorts of ritual temple services here. There was uh, sacrifices, ceremonial, prostitution, and vast wealth which poured into this temple here where they worshipped this goddess. Now, this goddess on the left here, this is Diana or Artemis. On the right, you have Inanna or Isis or Ashtoreth. Now, this is an ancient goddess in, in culture, she was the goddess of love, of beauty, of desire, of sex, of fertility, of war, political power. She was worshipped by the Akkadians, the Babylonians. This is ancient. She goes way, way back in history. And she was worshipped under the name of Ishtar, also known as the Queen of Heaven or the Great Mother Goddess. And Ishtar evolved into, in Greek culture, in Roman, into Diana or Artemis in Asia Minor and into Aphrodite in Greece. All, the, all worshiping sort of the same entity, the same God. In fact, uh, there was also a cult of Di- called the cult of Dionysus that was really popular in this area in this time. Jason talked about that a couple weeks ago and showed how there's really interesting scripture where Paul says, hey, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, they believed that the, basically the way they worshipped was a giant party in the woods where the spiked wine would flow and they would throw out all social constraints and women and slaves and criminals and generals of all sort would just party it up and do whatever they wanted to with their bodies. And in this state, they would, it was taught they would be filled with the spirit of Dionysus. And Paul says, no, 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 don't do that. Let me show you a better way. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's how that should impact the way of love, the way you treat each other in your family and in your home. You can go back and listen to that if you missed it a couple years ago. And so it's into this spiritual climate that Paul begins to preach the gospel and demonstrates the power of God over the dark spiritual realm. In fact, when Paul first began coming um, and preaching in Ephesus, here's, here's what it says in Acts 19, 11. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. The power of God, the kingdom of God comes in, breaks in, and you see it demonstrated in, all the, in the power over the realms of darkness and over even sickness and disease. In fact, it's funny, because right after this, it tells a story. This is, you know, the spiritual climate. There's some Jewish exorcists, because this was a well-known thing in the time that were going around, and they they recognized there's there's something real going on here. So they were going around trying to cast out demons by saying, in the name of Paul, of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, be out. And one day they came up on a demon, and um, they did that, and and the demon talked back. It says, well, I know Paul. I've heard of Jesus. I know Paul. I know, I know of Jesus. Who are you? And then this spirit took like power over this man. And it says it gave him such a beating, these seven dudes, that they ran out naked and bleeding. 
So there's a reality. If you're in a fight and, and you come in with pants and you leave without, you've lost. I'm just saying, right? You've lost. <laughs> but they, they understood there's a reality here. It's, there's something going on here. And you know, um, if you're like, man, that sounds extreme. I got to tell you, I, I know a lot of people. I've experienced some things in years of ministry of hearing, hearing things in a prayer room. That I'm like, that's not a human voice. What's going on there? Um, my friends, good friends, Ray and Candace uh, Ward that, that do ministry over in Thailand and Myanmar, um, some crazy things that they've experienced in dark powers and witchcraft and villages and things that were unexplainable. One of those things, uh, you know, in the middle of the night and, and literally just speaking out the name of Jesus and all of a sudden it's gone. Pastor friend, when we were in Thailand together, woke up in the middle of the night with what felt like a giant weight pressing down on his chest. He cried out to Jesus, all of a sudden it's gone. I, I firmly believe there's a reality of a spiritual realm. That there's something at work. And it's into this spiritual climate that Paul comes in and preaches and demonstrates the power of Jesus. And here's what happens. It says, many of those who believed... Now came, so the word of God spreads, and many believe in Jesus. They came, and they openly confessed what they had done. They laid their lives bare. They said, yes, this is what was true, but now I'm moving in a new direction. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. This would be, in our age, you know, the equivalent of tarot cards, perhaps Ouija boards, some of these things, like these books. It says, when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. 50,000 drachmas. I looked that up, and I could find a little bit older stat. In 2012, that was worth $4 million. So, you know, with inflation, that's probably like $6 million now, huh? You been to the grocery store lately? This was a lot of money, just the scrolls. That's the power of God that moved in these people. Here, And it says, that in this way, the, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The gospel begins to invade the realm of darkness. In fact, um, the, after this, a riot breaks out because of, of all this, and they drag a couple of Paul's companions into this theater that you can still go visit, this Roman theater right up here. Still there. And there's a giant riot, and when they finally call him down, one of the like spokesmen says, hey, we're going to lose our trade. Why? Because they made a ton of money from all the trinkets and all the spells and all the you know, little idols and statues. And he, and he says, and also the goddess, Diana Artemis, who's worshipped around the world, she's going to be robbed of her divine majesty. And for two hours they chant, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. It's this chaotic scene. You know what? He was correct to be concerned. Because as the gospel spread, paganism declined around the Western world. You know, it's interesting. It's only now as, as God is being removed from the public square that you begin to see the resurgence of many of these things. So into this culture, this spiritual climate, Paul comes and he writes the believers because they were aware of a spiritual reality. So often we're not. So often we're oblivious to a spiritual reality around us. 
And here's what he says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. We're going to look at that more next week. The the nitty-gritty of spiritual warfare. How do you actually walk this stuff out? Today's going to be more informational, okay? So you're going to have to stick with me. I'm going to get a little nerdy in just a minute, okay? You're like, you're already nerdy. Okay, I'm going to get a little more nerdy. Don't let your eyes glaze over. Um, (laughs) He says this, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul describes an unseen realm that seems to be very diverse, doesn't it? There seems to be a lot going on here. You see, you hear the term spiritual warfare. And uh, this, this three-week series, we're, we're talking about spiritual warfare and the reality that there is an unseen realm. I believe that firmly. That there is a struggle between two kingdoms. That there are spiritual beings. There are dark powers and powers of God, powers of light. There are good guys and bad guys. And so who are the spiritual beings in the Old Testament and in the new. I want to look at that for a minute. And I'm going to pull up a slide here. Uh, this is from a tool I love accessing called Bible Hub. And you can, anybody can use this. And it's cool because you can look up a verse and then hit the interlinear button. And it shows you the, the Greek. Of course, the Greek language, the original Greek text is going to be uh, formatted a little bit different. But here's what you see. When it comes to the Greek, and Paul uses all these words, which, which for us, it's like, well, what does that really mean? Rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual, what does that really mean? And so he uses some Greek words that were pretty uh, like archis, rulers, exosias, authorities. I like this Greek word, cosmokratoras, cosmic powers, cosmos, powers of this world. Um, And and when John, like if you were with us as we preached through the book of John, whenever you see the world, this world, for God so loved this world, it's always referring to um, the cosmos, the, the forces of the world that are against God, that we just tend to drift into. The spiritual forces, the pneumatica. And, and I'm not going to try to pronounce that last one because I don't speak Greek. It's all Greek to me. Um, you too. But here's the thing. When we talk, you're like, wow, that's a lot of different things going on there. See, when we talk about spiritual beings, we tend to think about two things. I'll give you a hint. It was a, a, a famous uh, book and movie by Dan Brown, okay? We tend to think about angels or, yes. And really, it stops there. Angels and demons. And part of that is, is what's going on here is in the Old Testament, um, there's multiple words to describe different things, and they're much more specific. And when those words are translated into Greek and then translated again into English, we lose some of the specific roles and the specific meanings. You, you know, when we talk about angels, we, we talk about spiritual beings, a lot of times we just refer to them as angels, right? Or demons. Angels are demons. And actually in the scriptures, what you find is angel is a job description. It's a job title. It's a role. It doesn't describe ontology, what a thing is is. An angel is an envoy or a messenger. In fact, at certain points in the Greek language, even the people could be messengers, angels, envoys. So you see other, in the Old Testament, you see terms for these beings like cherubim or seraphim. 
You see terms for both dark powers um, in, in the Old Testament as shadim, territorial spirits, or as princes. You, you ever seen, uh, read Daniel chapter 10? And it's interesting, in, in, Jan, in Daniel, you have these princes. You have this interesting passage um, where Daniel prays this prayer. Uh, I think it's a little bit sooner, earlier than this. In, in, and this thing happens where this angel shows up and says, man, Daniel, the very minute you started praying, uh, 21 days ago, I was dispatched to come to you and help explain the meaning of this vision. But I was resisted by the prince of Persia. He's not talking about a human being there. He's talking about a spiritual, territorial power. And see, when we hear some of these things, we're like, wow, that's weird. How, did, how does that work? How does that work? And see, there's much more going on in the Old Testament than we often put together. In fact, there's all sorts of different words that you see that, that tie into this. Um, you have like words that d- describe the realm of the dead, like Rephaim, like death, mot, like spirits, abot, all different things, the knowing ones, the Yidonai, the dead, the hidden ones. Then you have different like I said, territorial dominions. In fact, even, even uh, the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. You know, um, all throughout the Old Testament, when the Greeks, uh, when, the, when they translated the Old Testament into Greek, which was a couple hundred years before Jesus, it's a version known as the Septuagint because 70 scholars came and translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. In fact, most of the New Testament... When you read it, it's quoting from the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. When you see Paul and many of the authors quoting from the Old Testament. And it consistently, when, when you see um, the word Elohim in the Old Testament, it translates that as God's. Well, Elohim has the connotation in the Old Testament of being spiritual beings. Beings not of this world. And so you have God, Elohim, who is the most high God, who is unlike any other spiritual being, who created everything, including all of the other Elohim, small g gods. And you see them in your Bible as you're reading in English. Whenever you see gods, it's probably this word in the Old Testament. Good chance. When you see it capitalized Lord, it's going to be Yahweh, the specific name of the one true God, the most high God, the one who created every other spiritual being. But these are powerful entities. These are powerful spiritual beings. And in Genesis 3, we see the original rebel. He's known as the Natash, the serpent or the dragon. And now we know this isn't just a creature. But in Genesis chapter 3, what you have to understand is there's rebellion. Like, how did we get here into this spiritual battle? How do you get princes of different areas well, in Genesis chapter 3, the, the serpent, God creates humankind as his, his, in his, his image or his imagers on this earth. He creates a garden called Eden, which is much more than a garden. It's a place where heaven and earth meets. It's a place where God can dwell with humanity. And the commission, when you see dominion, the commission of humanity to, to subdue the earth or have dominion over the earth is to basically extend Eden throughout the earth. This place that all the earth, the earth would be the Lord's. And he would dwell with his people. In fact, what is the picture you see at the end of the book? The end of Revelation, if you've read it. 
You see the new Jerusalem coming down and the final state being this like reimagined, re, like amazing Eden where heaven and earth, a new heavens and a new earth, where God actually dwells with his people. You don't need a temple. Why? Well, Eden was like, the temple was a representation of what Eden originally was. God is there. He dwells with his people. We don't need a, a sun and moon. Why? Because God, his light brings light to everything. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture. The river, the streams of life, all this stuff at the, you, you have at the end. God's intention. Well, we're, we're told that humankind was made a little lower than the angels. These are actual, I, I mean, I had to ask my, my son, who's 14, almost 14, um, like, what, do you, what word do kids use? Because we used bad or rad. Anybody remember those words when I was a kid? Like, totally rad, man. Totally tubular. Um, They don't say that anymore, okay? They say sick, I guess. Now, and the angels, whenever angels appear in the old, like throughout the Bible, people are freaked out, okay? They have to go, well, don't be afraid. It's okay. I'm one of the good guys. <laughs> don't be afraid. I have good news for you. They're freaked out. Why? Because they're really sick, right? They're me. I mean, these, these are powerful creatures. We're made a little lower than the angels, still in the image of God. And yet we're human. We're fleshly, aren't we? That's why the angels saw it as a major demotion when Jesus was incarnated, when he took on flesh. It's like, what? The most high God would do that? And, and what you see at the beginning is the angels, the jealousy of these lower creatures being given dominion and this imaging authority of God on this earth. Now, I think that's what part of that, you see pride rise up in the heart of the original rebel. I will be like the most high God. Look at me, I'm pretty amazing. Look at, look at me, powerful being. And then you see jealousy over humanity, so he tempts Eve, and she takes the fruit and eats it, and her husband, who's, we, we get the picture, he's right there standing passively by, not intervening, which has been a problem in relationships ever since. And he takes and eats, and humankind falls. And there's a separation in relationship with God, and they're expelled from Eden. And all of a sudden, what you see is the very first glimpse of the gospel. It's called the Proto-Evangelon in Genesis 3.15, where God is pronouncing judgment, and he says this to the serpent, who we find out later in the New Testament is Satan, the devil, the dragon. He says this, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Lots of people call this the dragon slayer prophecy. And this is where God promises your fate is coming and it's going to come through the offspring or the seed of this woman. And what you see all throughout the, the, the Old Testament is as God chooses Abraham. Uh, originally, you see another rebellion in Genesis chapter 6. And all over the world, uh, you have uh, in ancient Sumerian religion, you have what are known as the Apkalu legends. You have ancient Greek mythology. I've been watching some really interesting DVDs about Genesis 6 with my son, and he was like really into um, these books of Greek mythology. He's like, oh, wow. So that's like the real story behind some of these, 
you know, embellished myths and legends. Genesis 6, where Satan tries to attack, where spiritual beings try to attack humanity, essentially, corrupt humanity, make an unredeemable humanity. And then you have in the Old Testament Babylon that comes along where God is this really interesting thing we're told in Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 82 that happens where God says, I, I have apportioned actually um, that humanity continues to rebel against me. This previous in Genesis chapter 6 that's affiliated with Nephilim and all this different stuff um, that I don't really have time to get into today. Let me just throw this slide up here and let me tell you this. There is a lot going on here, and if you want to understand the narrative arc of the Bible, um, we don't have time to go through all of this today or even in this series because there's so much, but I would highly recommend, this is going to be like the book of the month. I don't have copies, but you can get it digitally on Audible. You can get it anywhere books are sold. Supernatural by Dr. Michael Heiser. I've read multiple books by this guy. He's brilliant, and he puts the story together in a way that you go like, oh, Wow. Now it makes sense, some of these things that I read, and I'm like, what was that? Why does the preacher always skip those verses when he's like going through Genesis? Because hmm. it makes sense, actually. It ties together some of the conquest of Canaan, some of the things we struggle with, like why did God say wipe out certain tribes and stuff? Well, there's a deeper story going on there. And in Deuteronomy 32, you have actually after Babel, the Lord um, says, I'm going to have other they're called B'nai Elohim, sons of God, or these spiritual beings, lesser beings, part of God's family, not the only begotten son of God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the word who was preexistent through whom all things were created and not, not him. But there's other spiritual beings, part of God's spiritual family. And I'm going to allow them to, I'm going to entrust them to help the nations. But it says, but Israel will be my portion. There's actually a, a judgment he said, redemption is going to come through Israel, through Abraham. That's going to be my people. That's who the Messiah, this, this proto-evangelist, the, the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. Anybody remember Passion of the Christ? And that one scene where Jesus crushes the serpent's head? Yeah, it's awesome. That's what he's talking about. That's what happens at the cross and the resurrection. So there's Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 82 where we see these spiritual beings that were entrusted to help the nations. Instead, they rebel and they begin to take worship for themselves. Where did the ancient gods and goddesses come from? Well, in Paul's worldview, they came from these ancient spiritual beings that rebelled and began to take worship unto themselves and lead the people into all sorts of practices that God detested, like the god Molech that demanded they sacrifice their children on the fire. And so when you get to Ephesians and all these different powers and principalities, and you get to Daniel, and you have the prince of Persia, where does that come from? Well, that comes from that. That God entrusts these spiritual beings to care for nations, to lead nations, and they lead them into idolatry, and they lead them into corruption. That's where spiritual warfare, there's two kingdoms. And they're warring, and all throughout the Old Testament, you see Satan basically trying to take out the line of the Messiah, the promised seed, the promised offspring that would crush his head. It gets down to one person at one point because he narrows it down, right? Abraham, David, Solomon. It's going to come through there. And at one point, it gets down to one person. But God wins. In fact, Revelation 12 has a scene of the dragon trying to devour the child. You remember what Herod did at the birth of Jesus? 
trying to devour the child, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so Paul says, hey, I want you to be strong. I want you to stand. It's the picture of a Roman army advancing. We'll talk about this more next week. Advancing on a city and, and the fortified city shooting arrows, and you have a shield, and you have these different things. And you know what we're going to discover is spiritual warfare really isn't about yelling at demons, for sure. It's about truth. It's about righteousness. It's about the gospel. It's about faith and trust. It's a picture of the kingdom of light invading the kingdom of darkness. See, in Matthew chapter 12, when it comes to this idea of the kingdom of light invading darkness, at at, at the point of Jesus coming into the picture, Satan has resisted, he's rebelled, these powers and principalities have deceived the nations, they've even deceived Israel to the point where they've been tempted now to worship these false gods. See, Paul tells us behind the idols, which are nothing, you have stones, you have logs, you have things that humans created, but behind those things that are nothing are actual demons, they're spiritual beings that people worship. And they allow to influence their thinking and they, and they allow to influence the things they do. And it's into this scene that the Jesus comes in, bursts onto the scene. Here's what he says. He's just cast out a demon. And they've accused him he's doing it by the power of Beelzebub or Satan, another name for Satan. It says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? So Jesus says, there is a dark kingdom that wars against the kingdom of light. That's been going on, but the new reality, he says this, and if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See, and what I believe is that at Jesus' first coming, he makes it very clear that the kingdom of God has come upon them, that the kingdom of God is in their midst. It's burst onto the scene. And one of the, one of the signs of that is the powers of darkness are driven back by him. They have no power or no authority over him. The kingdom of God has come. It's been initiated, but he says it's going to look different. It doesn't look like an invading army. It looks like a mustard seed. It starts really small and then grows and grows and grows. It looks like uh, yeast mixed into a loaf of bread that then leavens the whole thing. And here we are 2,000 years later. You know, when Jesus spoke some of these things, in fact, he says this. He gathers his little guy, his group of guys together, and they go to this place called Caesarea Philippi. And what's so cool about this is it's known that this area in Bashan is known as the gates of hell, like the, the gates to the underworld. And who's the lord of the underworld? Beelzebul, the devil. And he goes to Mount Hermon where the Genesis 6, um, where they believe the Genesis 6 rebellion began. And he goes to the very place on the gates of hell and he, and he gathers his guys and he says this, on this rock, I will build my church, my gathering, my ecclesia, my movement. And the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. 
Who's on the offense? The kingdom of God. And guess what? 2,000 years later, we're gathered here together, and about a third of the population of the world would say, Jesus is Lord. How unthinkable would that have been when Jesus sat there with his 12 guys around him? This obscure carpenter nobody had heard of hardly, other than this hot little tiny dusty corner of the Roman Empire, who they killed, they crucified. Paul will tell us that, that actually it was, a, it was a trick. God tricked them. If they had understood the real battle, the dark powers wouldn't have crucified Jesus. They thought they won at the cross. But three days later, they realized they had lost everything. This is why you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. When it comes to this topic, here's what I want you to get today. You don't have to be afraid. Yes, there's a real unseen realm. Yes, there's powerful beings that have been around a lot longer than you that are, have observed things, right? But they don't have power or authority over you. Why? Well, Paul tells us in Colossians 2. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. See, there's action. He says, according to human tradition, and what? According to the elemental spirits of the world. These power dark forces, and, and not according to Christ. For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. This is a very different being. This is God in the flesh. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Someone has the rule and authority. What does Jesus say in the Great Commission? All authority has been given to me after the resurrection. Therefore, go into the nations. The authority has been stripped away. Here's the idea. It's been stripped away from these spiritual powers that were entrusted and rebelled against God. They're still out there, but their authority has been removed. It's been stripped away. It goes on, he says, uh, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without human hands by putting off the body of the flesh. There's a covenant relationship with Jesus by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Earlier in, in, in Ephesians, Paul tells us that the same spirit, the same one who raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And he has all rule and authority and power. You don't have to be afraid. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, you were separated from the people of God is what that means. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all of our sins. If you placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you've been forgiven, you've been saved, you've been redeemed. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What does that mean? Satan, who's known as the accuser, has no accusation against you anymore. The debt's gone. The debt's gone. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. See, when they crucified Jesus and he didn't stay dead, something very powerful happened. That he fulfilled all the covenants of the Old Testament, all the promises, and he defeated the power of the enemy. You don't have to be afraid. Don't fear. Do be aware. 
friend of mine, Lynn Green, he's one of the uh, heads of an organization called Youth of the Mission, largest non-denominational mission in the world. Back uh, when he was young, a young man and leading a team into Afghanistan, uh, he told me a story one time of this, they're out in the middle of the desert, and all of a sudden, he starts hearing this loud noise, and you can only describe it. Everybody in this little van is hearing it, and like, what in the world is that? It just keeps getting louder. He says, I can only describe it like a banshee scream. He says they stopped the car. He was like trying to get his contacts in, and they all start freaking out. And all of a sudden, this thing like comes in, and the noise gets closer and closer, slams into the car, and then it's gone. Would that freak you out? That would freak me out. He had a realization, wait a minute. This is the enemy trying to scare us. This is a tool of fear, but we don't have to be afraid because Jesus has all the rule and the power and authority. They got in that van, they drove to Kabul and saw an incredible outreach and ministry to people. See, you don't have to be afraid. Be aware there is an enemy, but you don't have to be afraid. Don't take him lightly. See, that's the other, C.S. Lewis writes about that. That's the other error. Taking the enemy lightly. Don't take him lightly. If he can convince you he's not there, then he can mess with you without you even knowing it. Don't take him lightly, but don't be afraid. See, here, here's the other thing. The bigger your influence for the kingdom is, the bigger target you have on your back. Again, nothing to be afraid of, just something to be aware that perhaps there's a, when, when you encounter things, perhaps there's something deeper than just a physical thing going on here. Not a demon behind every bush. That's an error. <laughs> that's where a lot of people go when it comes to spiritual warfare, either ignoring the whole thing or they go to a demon behind every bush. Guess what? Many times the headache, rebuked out in the name of Jesus, it's uh, you forgot your cup of coffee that's mor- th- that morning. You're an addict. <laughs> Hate to break that to you. Get a migraine. Oh, there's a pressure system coming in. Right? Many times it's just a physical explanation, but sometimes there's something deeper going on here. So why does the power of the enemy still resist? Like Jesus defeated them. Why do they still resist? Do, you, do they think they can beat God? I, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, Satan deluded himself into thinking he could be like God. But I think they actually know. In fact, what you see is when Jesus confronts some of these demons, here's what one of them says. What do you want with us, son of God? Luke that says son of the most high God, which is really significant when you understand that whole arc of biblical framework and worldview around the supernatural. He says, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? See, the ultimate fate of the devil and demons is that they will be thrown into the lake of the fire, and they are terrified of that. And as long as they can put off their final judgment, they will. And see, at the heart of spiritual warfare is the enemy's opposition to the Great Commission, because Jesus tells us this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And Jesus, in the scriptures, links the final judgment of the powers of Satan to something called the fullness of the Gentiles. When that last person will trust in Jesus, 
be brought into relationship, and only God knows when that is. We know the longer he waits, it's because he's patient, Peter tells us, and he wills that none should perish, but that all would come to their knowledge of the truth and repentance into relationship. He says, oh, no, he's not slow. He just loves humanity so much. He's patient. He wants more people in his kingdom. And you and I have been tasked, if you're a follower of Jesus, we've been tasked with taking the gospel to people. You know, you may be your friend's only Jesus person. The only connection to Jesus that they have. The only connection to church that they have. Your co-workers, best connection point. You have much more influence in the lives of your circle than I have. And we've been called to reach out with the love of Jesus, to, to overcome our fear, to be bold and take the gospel out. Because as one kingdom increases, the other decreases. And one of these days, he's coming back again. When the fullness, when God says, that's it, we're done. You know, um, yesterday the men's group had a, a speaker come in and talk about how AI is speeding the uh, translation of the Bible into all these mother tongues. You know, we're, we're so close. We're within 10, 15, 20 years of every native tongue in the world having a Bible in their own language. That's happened largely in the last 100, 120 years. I think we're getting close, guys. Would you stand? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Let me just ask you, are you on mission? How have you been doing living your life for his kingdom? You know, if he can get you to live for yourself, he didn't really even have to mess with you. You're ineffective for his kingdom. If he can get you completely consumed with, with the busyness of life here and now, so you don't have time to invest your life in anyone, he doesn't have to bother with you. How are you doing with living a life oriented towards his kingdom? Are your eyes open to the struggle? Or are you oblivious to it? Are you on task? you understand I'm not just here for pleasure and enjoyment. I'm here to serve my king. And there's going to be some struggle. And that's okay. Because you're in a battle. The other part about the struggle against flesh and blood means this, that when we approach a culture, humans aren't the enemy. People who have completely different worldviews and lifestyles, they're not the enemy. They're people that Jesus loves. They're people that Jesus died for, just like he died for you and me. And so our heart towards people is always that they would know Jesus, that we would communicate and share the love of Jesus with them. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for my friends. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that yet has not embraced what you've done for them at the cross, would they, through faith and trust in you, repent of their sin and ask for forgiveness and you can do that in the room right now, in your own words. And express their trust in you, the Son of God, that died and rose again. And become part of your family. Join the kingdom of light. For the rest of us, would you help us remember there is a real struggle, but we don't have to be afraid, because you are the victor. 
We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.